Jesus. Praise the Lord for camp. Praise God for these kids. They are great singers. They may be a little bit rhythmically challenged, but they're good singers. And uh, so thank you for Brother Cody leading us. Uh, Miss Carol, where'd you go? Everybody give a shout out for Miss Carol. Brother Drew, he, man, he stuck through all of that. And whenever we had to improvise because it was pouring down rain yesterday, Brother Drew went out and bought these light things and uh, kind of like disco lights almost and put them all around the room. And we did music and we did, we did dancing and all of these things inside with the kids to keep them occupied all, all afternoon yesterday. Um, and we, we saw... The adults um, overcoming lots of hurdles and obstacles in order to have camp. Kids had an amazing time. Um, they'll probably all go home and crash. Uh, at least I know the adults will. Um, but man, God has really blessed uh, Myrtle Grove Baptist Church in our children's program and the ability to go to camp this year in Camp Baldwin. It's been a blessing. Uh, the passage of Scripture that we looked at, again, John 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way. He said this to Thomas. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. If we think about the words of Christ and we think about the truth, it makes us think about the passages of Scripture that we've been looking at and, and talking about when it comes to the Word, the Word of God and how it is truth, and there is no error in the Word, that when God says something, you can believe it, you can stand on it. And when God says it, I believe it, that settles it. Is that the way we're supposed to? God said it, that settles it, I believe it. All right, I want you to open up your Bible with me to the book of First Thessalonians. You'll be finding that in the New Testament. First Thessalonians chapter 2. So far, as we've talked about the Bible and getting back to the Bible as a as a people, making sure that the Bible is a part of our daily routine as we spend time with the Lord, we hear from Him, He speaks to us, and we apply those truths to our lives. So far, we've heard that the Bible is the Word of God, meaning it is what He has said, what He has spoken, and that it is inspired by God, and that it's truth for our lives. And then we said, because of that, it is our authority. As well, that everything that we we do, we base it on the word of God as we're following the scripture, we're following the word of God and we're being obedient to him. It's a, the obedience to God's word says that we know and believe that it is our authority for our lives. And listen, God's word is true. It will always be true. And one day we will be judged by the truth. Now, that's going to be next week. We're going to talk more about how God's word will endure forever and how his word will judge us. But today, I want us to think about the transforming power of the word of God and how it changes who we are when we apply it to our lives. And so today, we've entitled the message, Life Change. And we're just going to look at one verse of scripture. This is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and just verse 13. That's the only passage of scripture that I'm going to read for from this morning, and we're going to break it down. We'll have some others that inform us about this passage that we look at, but this is just one 
passage of Scripture that we're going to break down this morning. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and stand with me. The words will be on the screen if you don't have the Bible with you. If you've got your, your smartphone and you've got your Bible app, you can open that up. Look at that too. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. This is Paul and Silas and Timothy writing to the church in Thessalonica. Okay? So verse 13. And we also thank God constantly. Why is Paul, Silas, and Timothy so thankful? And what is it that they thank God constantly about? For this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We know it's truth. We believe it is the authority for our lives. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, may you accomplish what your word is designed to do, and that is to change us from the inside out. Lord, mold us and make us into the people that is fit for your praise. Lord, we praise you for all the blessings that you've given us over this past week, especially for our children at camp. We pray that the testimony of what's happened at camp would go forth and people and lives would be changed because of that word going forth. And Lord, now uh, give us wisdom and insight and obedience to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And let me tell you just, just uh, quickly, we had a number of our students. Um, I think if I, if I counted correctly, Miss Carol, I think it was about nine kids. Am I right about that? About nine somewhere around nine kids that made decisions for Christ. Some of them made decisions to uh, trust Christ for the very first time, and we're going to be looking at, at uh, baptizing them, talking to their parents about next steps and all of those things. Some of them made decisions to renew their commitment to discipleship, to following Jesus and, and growing closer to Jesus. So we're so thankful for God, how God moved at camp, and I, and I hope and I pray that um, you will continue to lift up these students as they walk with God, as they grow closer to Him. I want you to think about life change from the Word, and that's what happened this week. That's what we, we hoped would happen, was that we would get these kids separated from everything else around them, and that they would focus in on God's Word, and we'd wear them out enough that whenever they would sit down and at the worship time that they would listen and that they would hear and they wouldn't be running their mouths, and some of them fell asleep, and that's okay. But at least they weren't distracting the other kids. <laughs> some of them heard the Word of God, and then that Word was applied to their life, and it brought forth fruit. It brought forth life change. And every time we hear the Word of God, we have a decision to make. Are we going to hear and heed the Word of God and allow it to change us, or are we going to reject the Word of God? So there's three points from the text I want to give you this morning. The first point is that we, in order to have life change from the Word of God, we need to receive God's Word. If we're going to have life change, we've got to receive God's Word. And what I mean by that is it needs to be communicated to you. You need to take it in. You can't have change from the Word of God if you avoid the Word of God, if you never hear the Word of God. And so notice what Paul says. He says, we thank God constantly for this, that when you received 
the word, uh, we received the word of God, which you heard from us. And the, and the back, a little bit of background of what happened here. Paul and Silas and Timothy were only in Thessalonica for three weeks. You know, Paul's going out. He's the missionary evangelist, and he's taking the word of God. He's got the script, the Old Testament scriptures. Then he has the New Testament. That the only form that they had was the word that was preached by the apostles. And he was taking that from town to town, city to city. And when he got to Thessalonica, he was only able to preach there for three weeks. And then persecution came and Paul had to leave town. He had to flee. And during those three weeks, Paul hammered in with those first century believers the gospel of Jesus Christ and everything else that he could fit into those three weeks. He was teaching every day in the synagogue. He was teaching them all about Jesus and how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And so he's preaching the word and he's giving them the word. He is the herald of the gospel and he's holding out the word of life for these people. And guess what they did? They received it. You know that that Greek word that Paul uses there, it literally means to take it, to reach out and grab it. And not just that, it, it, it's relational in many of the uses of the words. About, about five, uh, four out of five uses of the, passage, of the word in passages other than this passage, it has to do with someone taking someone else alongside them, grabbing someone and taking them with them. That's what the word means. Let me give you a couple of examples. Joseph took Mary to be his wife. All right? And then he took the mother and the child, meaning Jesus, to Egypt. And then Jesus took Peter and James and John up on a high mountain where the, the transfiguration happened. And Paul wanted to commend these Thessalonian believers for taking in the word, making it their constant companion, that wherever they went, they took the word. I remember whenever I was a teenager, we got challenged by our youth leader to take our Bible with us to school. And so I had a choice to make. And so I took up that challenge. I took my Bible to school with me and I laid it out on my desk in my science class. And I was reading it before the bell rang, before it was time for class to begin. Okay, I wasn't reading it during the instructional time, but guess what happened? I had some of the other students come in and see my Bible on my desk and they'd say, you can't have that here at school. And I said, yes, I can. I'm an American and I'm proud to be an American. I had that Bible out on my desk. But you know, what's more important than just taking the word with you is that you actually open it up and you read it. You need to receive it. And many of us, and I, I'm, I'm guilty of this, New Year's resolution, I am all about reading my Bible and, fill, and doing my Bible reading plan, right? How many of you, you started a Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year? Any of you? A few? Some of you are like, what even, why even bother? Because I'm not going to do it by the end of But having a Bible reading plan is important. But you know what's more important than that is having a Bible reading pattern in your life. 
not just a plan. Because a plan, you know, you may or may not do the plan, but if you have a pattern, you're going to get into a habit, and habits are hard to break. Come somebody say amen to that. I mean, it's hard to break certain habits. I've known people that have quit smoking, started smoking again, quit smoking, started smoking again. I've known people that, eh, never mind, I'm not going to tell you about all the habits that they do. But bad habits, they're hard to break. But good habits are hard to break too. You know that? So more than having a plan of Bible reading, you need to have a pattern of Bible reading, meaning that you, you integrate that into your daily routine, that you get into God's Word on a daily basis, and you'll develop that hunger. And more than that, Paul says, don't despise prophecies. And what he means by that is make sure that whenever the Word is being preached, that you're there listening to it. And you make that a pattern of your life. I love what uh, the Bible says about the Berean church whenever they came preaching the gospel to the Bereans and and Paul and Silas went into Berea and they arrived. They went into the Jewish synagogue. It says in verse 11 of chapter 17, now these Jews, this is the book of Acts, by the way, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. (laughs) I love that. I mean, we're all right. The Thessalonica church, they're a good church, right? But the Berean church, they even went a step further than the Thessalonica church. And listen to what they did. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily. They made it a part of their daily routine to see if these things were so. Now, all they had was the Old Testament. But did you know that that Jesus is even in the Old Testament? I tell you, even from the very beginning, the book of Genesis, the Bible proclaims that God said that the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. And by the way, that singular, masculine, one seed, the serpent would bruise his heel. But he, meaning Jesus, would crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is preached all over the Bible. And so the Berean church, they said, oh, we're hearing about the the Messiah, but let us make sure. So guess where they went? They went to the Word. And they didn't just go to the Word once. They went daily. They developed a pattern of going. They went Even before they had a New Testament, they were seeing Jesus all over Scripture because they were looking at the Bible daily and examining the Bible. We need to receive God's word. See, the scripture was welcomed by the Thessalonian church. The scripture was welcomed by the Berean church. And whenever they heard the word, the New Testament being preached, they received it and they welcomed it into their lives. Now, what about, see, they were commended for that. But what about the consequences? Now, this, this isn't in the scripture, so we've got to go some other, in the scripture we're reading, we've got to go some other places. But what if you just decide, I'm not going to allow the Bible to be part of my life, what might happen? You can get really religious without the Bible. You know that? You can get really religious without having a Bible reading pattern in your life, without really receiving the Word, and think that you're doing the will of God. Give you a couple of examples. I mean, Zechariah 7, 8 through 14, it's a story about when the Word of the Lord came to Zechariah, And he was supposed to be going and preaching this to the king, preaching this to the people, and telling them to listen to the word of God. 
not simply to do what they think is right. And this is what he said. He says, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner or the poor, and let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And by the way, all of those things that Zechariah said had already been written by God in the book of the law. God had already said all of those things. But Zechariah is preaching the word to the people. And he's telling them, listen, do not do these things that God says not to do. In verse 11, but they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder. You've seen somebody do that. I want to hear that. Talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. They turned a stubborn shoulder. And then listen to what else. They stopped their ears (laughs) that they may not hear. They didn't want to hear it preached. Don't preach to us about that. Tell us something we want to hear. They made, now listen to this part. This is what, please don't let this be true of you. God, please don't ever allow this to be true of Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. They made their hearts diamond hard. Lest they should hear the law of the words of the Lord of hosts that had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of hosts. This is what he said, as I called and they would not hear. So they called and would not hear, says the Lord of hosts. And I scattered them with a whirlwind among the nations that they had not known. Thus says the land they, they left was desolate so that no one went to and fro. And the pleasant land was made desolate. You know what? We're really just one generation away of this church being a byword, an empty building, sitting here on this corner, we're just one generation away. And there being no one here. And what's even more terrifying than that, we're one generation away from Christianity being nothing but textbook history in America. Just one generation. And all it takes is for when God speaks for the people not to listen. Here's another example. And this is Acts chapter 7 in the New Testament. Stephen, a man full of wisdom and full of power and full of the Holy Spirit, stands up and he preaches before the Sanhedrin. And he tells the Sanhedrin, this is what the Bible says. This is what the Old Testament says. Is that you... We're always not listening to the Spirit. And this is why all the bad things happened to Israel that happened. And yet God still loved you enough to send a Savior. And He was crucified. You crucified Him. And so He's preaching the Word to the the Sanhedrin. And listen to what happened whenever He did that. Acts 7 verse 54. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged. And they've ground their teeth at him. But he, full of, meaning Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. You know that Saul 
later on repented. Saul became Paul, who is writing the passage this morning. Do you have a welcoming ear towards God's word? Do you know that this is true? I want you to hold your Bible up. This is something that we did at camp, and the youth did this at camp too. I want you to hold God's word up, and we're going to say God's word together. If you got it on a smartphone or tablet, that's okay. Hold that up too. Whatever it is, hold it up. And I want you with one voice, I want you to say the truth. Can you do that with me? You ready? We're going to say it together. One, two, three. The truth. All right. Now you said it. You can put your Bible down. You said it. Now do you really believe it? Okay. We said we need to receive it. And this, by the way, is why it's so important to have preachers and teachers in Romans chapter 10. How then will they call on him whom they not believed? And how are they to believe on him whom they, whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent as it is written? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. All right. We need to support our seminaries. We need to pray for those who labor in preaching and teaching the gospel. Now think about when Nehemiah... Yeah, in, in Nehemiah, when Ezra was preaching, the Bible says the people stood up, everyone, man, woman, boy and girl, as long as they could hear and understand, maybe grade school kids, they all stood up from morning till noon. And some of you, you can't stand a 30-minute sermon. Some of you don't know what a 30-minute sermon is because you hear me preach every Sunday. And I go for about 40 or 45. <laughs> but don't despise it. Do you have a welcoming ear? Do you receive it? Now, secondly, though, do you believe it? Okay? Because not only do we need to receive it, but we've got to believe it. We've got to believe that what God says is absolutely true and stand firm. So look again with the passage, at the passage in, that we uh, added at 1 Thessalonians 13. That when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, what did they do? You accepted it. Not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. So not only did they receive it, have this welcoming heart about it, they also believed what they were told. They believed it with all of their heart. Do you believe that God's word is the truth? Somebody say amen. 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 Did I hear Matt Mandrell say amen? I hope I did. Because I'm going to use you for an illustration, brother. Come on up here. I'm going to get a couple of volunteers. I'm going to get Cody and Drew. Come on up here. Matt, I want you to come up here. And uh, Matt, you're, you're a pretty smart guy. I asked your wife before I did this if you knew anything about physics. And she, Okay, well, she said, yeah, I think he probably does. He's pretty smart. Well, you're mechanical, mechanically minded. Physics has a lot to do with mechanics. Mechanics has a lot to do with physics. Have you ever heard of the law of the pendulum? Yes. You have? Okay, all right, good. All right, so put, the, put that picture up there, Sarah, for the pendulum. All right, here's the thing about a pendulum. If you start the pendulum with no other outside force, but simply gravity acting upon the pendulum and, and the potential energy that's in that weight, 
and you release it, it will swing. And it will swing past that point of equilibrium and it will go back, but it can never go further than it started. So do you believe in the law of the pendulum? Okay, he said yes, he believes in it. I want you to come sit over here for me. No. All right, so what we have here is a pendulum. We basically have that. We have a shoestring and a weight, okay, and a fulcrum. And I'm going to raise the weight. I'll get a little bit closer. Yeah, let's scoot you up. Scoot on up just a little bit. Okay, we're going to get you. Come. Okay, we're going to raise the right there. Okay. Do you believe in the law of the pendulum? I actually do. <laughs> you got this, bro. I got it. All right. Let's see how much he really believes it. Oh, a little bit. Oh, you flinched. Okay. All right, you did a good job. Y'all give him a hand. All right. I know I do. All right, thank you. All right, so here's the thing. We say we believe the truth, but what really matters the most is when God says, sit. He says he puts us right there in that hot seat. See, belief really becomes trust when we have to put it to the test. Whenever God puts it to the test. And this is what the Christian walk is all about. God said it. That settles it. I believe it. So when he says, do it, I do it. And here's the thing. The pressure is going to be on. And what happened with the Thessalonian church, and this is a little bit of background to what happened here, is that they came in and they raided the church. And they began to drag people off. Now, they had already gotten Paul and Silas and Timothy out of the picture, but the church was still there. And they raided that church and they were dragging people to court and all of those things. And they threatened them and they fined them. The house of Jason was ransacked, and he was brought before the court, had to testify, and they fined him, told him not to talk about Jesus anymore, you can't have church anymore, all of those things. But guess what? Today, there's still a church in Thessalonica. (laughs) They They never gave up on God's Word. They stood on God's Word. Even when they were in the hot seat, they still proclaimed the truth about who Jesus is, that He is the Savior of the world, and they never gave up on that. I listened to what C.S. Lewis had to say. Now, C.S. Lewis was the greatest theologians of all time. He was a, an atheist. And then he put his faith in Jesus. But he wrote this little book, it's called A Greek Observed. And, and in that book... He's dealing with the loss of his wife who got sick with cancer. He watched her die a miserable death. And his faith was put to the test. Was C.S. Lewis going to back down and renounce his faith 
and say everything the Bible says is not true and, and I don't believe any of that anymore? Or was he going to stand on the truth of God's word that God is working all things together for the good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose? Did he believe God's word or not? Listen to what he says. You never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. Now, with Matt, it was simply a matter of dental work. (laughs) But for C.S. Lewis, it was a matter of life and death. It is easy to say, you people, uh, you believe a rope to be strong as long as you're merely using it to cord a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. Wouldn't you then first discover how much you really trusted it? I agree. And see, here's the thing. What we're preaching to you about Jesus living a sinless life and dying on a sinner's cross is a matter not just of life and death, but it is a matter of eternity. So whether you believe this book is true or not, and you you tether your life to this book, is going to determine your eternal reality. So do you really believe it or not? So we receive God's word. We must believe God's word in order for it to transform us. And then lastly, we must heed God's word. When we talk about heeding, what we mean is we put it into practice. We walk in it. Now listen to what he says. He says, this word that you heard from us that you received and you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And then he gives this statement. He says, which is at work in you, believers. And when you think about that, that they had a welcoming attitude toward the scripture. They had a welcoming attitude toward the New Testament proclaimed through Paul and Silas and Timothy and others that came later. And then they believed what they they said. They accepted it as the truth of God. They believed it. And then because they did that, it became part of who they were. And then it began to work from the inside of them, outwardly to every person. Now, I'm not going to make you go back and read all of this, but Paul tells the Thessalonian church that I've been going all over the place telling everyone about you. He said that to the Thessalonians. Now, can you imagine that? Paul's going from town to town to town, and he's telling every church that he goes to about how God saved the Thessalonians and how now they're walking in the truth. He's using them as an example. Wouldn't it be great if when God was speaking to the angels about all the churches in the earth and all the things that they were doing for him and for his glory, that he said, oh yeah, and let me tell you about Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. How now, how, how they believe my word and how the word is at work through them. And the word is accomplishing so much through them. And that's exactly what was happening with Paul. He was going all around the Mediterranean world telling everybody about the Thessalonian church. 
It was at work in them. And that's what God's word does. You cannot put God's word in and stay the same. There will always be change in your life whenever you truly receive the word and believe the word and heed the word. Then God is going to change you from the inside out. And that, folks, that's what we need. I can't change myself and you can't change yourself. But God's word will always transform those who believe it, who heed it. And listen, we are saved and sealed and sanctified when we heed the word of God. The Bible says we're saved by heeding the word of God. John 15, 3, Jesus told his disciples already you are clean because the word that I have spoken to you. And then in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. By the way, that's receiving and believing. And in which you are being saved. If you hold fast the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Saved, sealed, Ephesians 1.13, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. But here's the thing. When you receive the Word, believe the Word, and then heed the Word, the Bible says your name now is written down in the Lamb's book of life, and you're sealed forever. And then lastly, you are sanctified. See, there's transformation that's happening Daily, as you get into God's Word, daily. Transformation from the old person to the new self. John 17, 17, Jesus prayed this prayer to the Father. He said, sanctify them. Who's them? Everybody raise your hand. That's me. So Jesus prayed for you in the garden that you would be sanctified. What does that mean? Set apart, made holy, different from who you, who you used to be to who he's making you to be, the image of Christ. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. The Bible is a, a supernatural book. Sarah, go back one slide to Hebrews chapter 4. I got that one on there? Yeah. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Do you know of any other book that reads you whenever you read it? You, you ever read a book like that? That just looks right into your soul and sees exactly what's there, reveals it all? Is there any other book on this planet? They can do that. I've read some good books. I'm ashamed to say I don't read as much as I would like to. But I've read some really good books. The only book I've ever read that reads me is this Bible. Every time you open God's Word and read it, it reads you. James 1, 21. He says, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word. That's what it means to heed it. It means not just to hear it audibly or not just to read it on the page, but to allow it to come in. Receive it. Let it be implanted in you, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. See, here's what we do. Sometimes we have our Bible reading plan and we think, okay, I did my 
I did my time in God's word. I'm done for the day and that's it. And I move on with my life. And what do you do when you do that? You make yourself this religious zealot. But in the meantime, you're deceiving yourself. You're saying, I'm really walking with God. I'm doing my duty. But you didn't heed it. So he says, make sure that you heed God's word or else you're going to be deceiving yourselves. So don't deceive yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. I went to my mirror a few times this week uh, at camp. I did not care for what I saw in the mirror. I said, who is that? He doesn't look anything like that handsome guy that I normally see. Yeah, I, I, I had to use my wife's razor this week because I left mine at home. I still have razor burn on my neck. And slime, too. I don't know what the slime stuff is that they put on women's razors. I have no idea what that stuff is for. I don't like it. I'm going to get back to my razor. So I go to the mirror, and I look at myself, and I go, oh, what in the world? Oh, well. Go on about my day. No, when you go to the mirror and you see that raggedy mess, it means there's work to do, right? To make yourself presentable. And he and James says, whenever you go to the Word of God, it's going to read you. You're going to see exactly what it is that God is saying to you. If you're truly listening, you're always going to hear the voice of the Lord whenever you read the Word. And he's going to say something to you in that moment. He's always going to speak to you if you're listening. And here's the thing. You can say, eh, never mind that. Or you can allow the word in. You receive it. Receive the implanted word. It says, for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forget what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, meaning he does that and he keeps on doing it. Being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. I love this description that God gave for the kings of Israel. And this is what he said in Deuteronomy chapter 17, verse 19. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. Meaning the book of the law. It shall be with him and he shall read it all the days of his life. Let that be said of you. It shall be with him. It shall be with her. And he and she shall read it all the days of her life. That he or she may learn to fear the Lord, his God, her God. By keeping it, all the words of this law and these statutes and doing this. Let that be a description of you. Is that true of you today? You receive God's word. Do you believe God's word when the pressure is on? Do you stand on it? And do you heed God's word that you obey every word and you're careful to obey every word that God has for you in his word? Is that true of you? Now, here's the one thing. I want you all to bow your heads, close your eyes. Here's the one thing that God is saying to you from his word today is that today 
you need to put your faith and trust in the God of the Bible. You need to put your faith and trust in Him. And we know that His name is Jesus. That every page of Scripture is about Jesus. The Bible begins by telling us that God created everything that we see. That through Jesus, everything was created. It was created through Him, by Him, and for Him. And it all holds together because of Him. But you and I are sinful. And we've turned our back on our Creator. And we've done things that we know are wrong. And we have failed to do the things that we know are right. And because of that, the penalty for that sin is upon us. Because God is a just God. Every sin that you've committed has hurt someone, somewhere. And you owe a penalty for that. But praise be to God, He sent Jesus to die in your place. Sinless man, the only one, died for you. And now if you put your faith in Him, He'll pay the penalty for your sin. You'll be set free. And you can have eternal life, which is what God intended from the very beginning. For you to walk with Him forever. The Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So you can have that gift today simply by Trusting in Jesus and what He has done for you. This is the one thing that God wants you to know more than anything else today. And not just know it and receive it, but to believe it, to heed it by casting everything upon Jesus. See, your good works are never going to get you to heaven. It doesn't work that way. The only person who is ever good enough is Jesus. So with your head bowed and your eye closed, if today you're ready to receive God's free gift of salvation that was purchased by Jesus' blood on the cross, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I have done things I know are wrong and I've failed to do the things I know are right and I deserve the penalty for my sin. I deserve to be separated from you forever. But Jesus, I believe that you love me so much that you died on the cross for my sin. I believe that you were raised again on the third day and that you're alive. So I put my faith, my hope, and my trust in you. I ask you to save me. Forgive me for my sin. Give me a home in heaven with you. And in the meantime, I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. In your name I pray.
Amen. 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 Will you stand with me? This is our time of invitation. If you've just prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer with all of your heart and God has heard that prayer, you're standing on His Word today and His Word says that anyone who confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord and believes in their heart that He's alive and that He's Lord, if you'll do that, then you will be saved. And so the promise is true today. You've been saved because you trusted Jesus. And we want to celebrate with you. So this invitation is for you to come and tell us what Jesus has done in your heart today as we worship. And and also, if you're looking for a place to love and serve Jesus, a family of faith, and you know that the Lord has brought you here to Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, and you're ready to join the family of faith, and you say, I'm a believer, I know who Jesus is, I want to love Him and serve Him here with the Myrtle Grove Church family, I want to do that, then you come. We welcome you as you come. And then if you need prayer, our prayer counselors are coming, and they're going to be here to pray with you, and you just grab hold of them and pray.